Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another, and impacting the world. And so I'd like us to turn to Psalm 86. And I am not going to read the entire psalm as one, but rather in my introduction I want to read it in three sections, three portions as we consider this uh, passage or part of this passage uh, this morning. So keep your Bible open, I'm going to pray and, and then I'll lead us from there. Lord, this morning we have repeatedly acknowledged your greatness and the majesty and the glory and the honor that is due to your name. But Lord, I confess this morning in my own life, the tendency, as Isaac reminded us right at the beginning, that we can think too highly of ourselves. And so maybe this morning, Lord, come recognizing our own frailty uh, physically, but Lord, even spiritually, knowing that we stand as those who come uh, recipients of amazing grace. And so asking that you would continue to be at work, Lord, in us as a group, as a local congregation, but Lord, also in each of us in our individual lives, we pray. And so we pray for the work, the ministry of your spirit, unction in preaching, and Lord, submission, humility, and change in those of us, Lord, each of us, as we come in submission to your word, we pray. Amen. So, to introduce this uh, psalm today, <laughs> I want to use the analogy of a sandwich. Alright, so if you've got a sandwich in your mind, uh, two slices with stuff in between. That's kind of what I have in, in, in my mind. And uh, the two slices that I want to begin with, that most of us can identify, Identify with, and perhaps even today, and I want you to be thinking as I describe uh, each of those uh, sandwiches. The first slice of the sandwich is a desperate plea to God. Coming to God, coming before God in absolute desperation, similar to what we see uh, this cry from the psalmist. And let me read the first seven verses. It's a prayer of David. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me. For I am poor and needy. Preserve my life. For I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord. For to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant. For to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. So that I would consider to be the bottom slice of this sandwich. The second slice of the sandwich, the top slice, is at the end of the psalm, where the psalmist now gives us some detail of why he feels as he does one who is poor and needy and desperately in need of a touch and help from God. So have a look at verse 14. This is the description of his particular need, his particular context. 
the situation he's facing. Oh God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seek my life. They do not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give you Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Okay, so you got it. There's a bottom slice. There's a top slice. But we know when we eat any kind of decent sandwich, the stuff in the middle really counts. And that's so. And so the middle of the sandwich, I would describe as a section of praise. The psalmist is lifting up his soul to God. He understands the reality of who God is. And so he comes and he offers up to this magnificent God that he's petitioning, that he's crying out to. And then it's followed by his response, having contemplated who God is. Now we read verse 8 to 13. This is the stuff in the middle of the sandwich. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name, for you are great and doest wondrous things. You alone are God. In the response, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. Everything we do, everything we are, everything we need, hinges on our understanding of who God is. And it's not our perception of who we would like him to be, but it is actually who we know him to be because he has revealed himself to us. He's given us the information we need about him. So this morning, I think today another chapter begins at the Hill Campus. It's a kind of a turning point. It's a, it's a landmark. Uh, it's a milestone. Uh, and and it prompts the question, and this is the reflection I want us to consider, what we did uh, 11 years ago, in fact 13 years ago, when we started uh, thinking and praying about this project. Why are we here at the Hill Campus? We, we, we are Central Baptist Church. Why did we not just stay in Arcadia? Why, why did we not just continue in, 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 in a place where there is a great building and, 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 and beautiful parking facilities and, and great offices and, and nice sound systems and, and all the kind of things that you wish you could want and have in a local church? Why did we just not stay there? Why all this effort and time and bother with having what we have called one church in two places? And then to ask the question again. Why are we going through this ordeal? This was a lovely facility. We had a nice reception area. 
We had a nice place where we could stand and talk and have tea and, and engage with people before and after the service. Why are we going to this trouble of, 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 of creating a havoc for a number of weeks, perhaps even a couple of months? And why are we here? Well, there are good reasons. There's one good reason. There are many good reasons I think one could rattle off. Uh, we could simply say, well, the city of Pretoria is growing. And if the city of Pretoria is growing, we just need another church, another evangelical church. We need another Baptist church. We can also add, and it certainly was a consideration, that there are members, there were members of the Central Baptist Church living out in the far east of Pretoria. They were traveling long distances, and so it made sense, just logical sense. It was prudent to plant a church in the far east of Pretoria. We also believed that it was useful to have the church in the city so that those people and the people living in that context could also be reached. But now this morning, this is the issue certainly that beats in my own heart and I do trust beats in your heart. And perhaps I'm reminding you of this this morning. The overall all-encompassing reason why we are here at the Hill Campus has to do with God. It must be. It cannot just be other things. It has to be to do with God. And so I'm, I'm repeating what I've said, and I remember preaching uh, similar. Uh, certainly the outline is very similar to what I did on the 17th of June in 2012, the first Sunday that we uh, opened this church. And the point uh, that I wanted to make, one of the points, the first point I wanted to make, the reason has to do with God. We are here because God is incomparably great. What Zwavel put and Olympus and the neighboring suburbs need, the people who live in these suburbs, more than anything else from the Central Baptist Church, is to see the glory of God. That has to be uppermost in our thinking. It can't just be gathering together on a Sunday or gathering together in a particular small group. No, we, we, we and the people of this area need more and more to see and grow in our understanding and experience of the glory and the majesty of the true and the living God. Let me add. Our smallness, which we've also tried to emphasize in this service this morning, our smallness is not an obstacle for that to come about. I want to use the analogy or the illustration of a telescope. A telescope is a small instrument. And if you point a telescope into the heavens, into the uh, heavens above, you're able to through that small instrument, be exposed to something of the greatness and the magnificence, in fact, the endlessness, of, certainly from what we see, of the universe. A small instrument, it helps us to see the amazing realities in the sky. Now God, God wonderfully and powerfully magnifies His greatness through ordinary instruments like you and me. Because he has given to us a treasure. We had a look at that in Second Corinthians chapter 4. We have this treasure in jars of clay. 
People can see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. As we proclaim the word, that which has been given, that which has been enduring down through the years. As we continue to work here at the hill, as we continue to work at Arcadia, our smallness as people, our frailty as people, our inability as people is not an obstacle if you and I are constantly gripped by the majestic greatness of God. God has to be uppermost and central. And so I ask this morning, I ask myself in, in, in preparing this message again this morning, does the greatness of God grip your heart? And maybe even to put that differently, has your heart been captivated in some measure by the, the magnificence and the glory of God? Has this greatness been burned on your heart so much so that you want to share it with others? Do the words of the psalmist, let's get to the psalm, resonate with you. Verse 8. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. See, God stands alone as unique. Perhaps we need to remind each other of that. We cannot help, we can't help in our own context and world to see that there's so much that is a strong attraction to us. There are things that appeal to us. Things that draw us. Uh, I don't know if anybody got tired of the rugby yesterday. Uh, there was match after match after match. And uh, I mean, I like a little bit of rugby, but I must confess, I got a bit tired of it, you know. But, but, but that kind of thing, that kind of thing can consume someone, an individual, and, and, and people. We, we, we live in a world where there is so much on offer in terms of technology. That which we have in our home, that which we have in our pockets on, on cell phones and, and digital technology. Uh, we, we, we get caught up and can get caught up in, in, in so much that is less than God. And in some sense, these other things can become like gods. As we people have a tendency to follow them and to worship them. And then it's not just the things that attract us and appeal to us, but we understand from the scripture that they are false gods. They are ancestral spirits. They are false Christs. And they're demons and they're Satan himself. All who would fall into the category of gods. There are many gods. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8 verse 5, there, there are many, there may be so-called gods in heaven and on earth, as indeed there are many gods, inverted commas, and many lords, inverted commas. And, and, and so the, there's a full spectrum of seemingly harmless things, as well as obviously dangerous gods, that call out for your and my devotion. You must be aware of that. All objects of devotion are nothing compared to the true and the living God. The competition is no competition. And I think we need to remember that. We need to be reminded of that. God stands alone in a category all on, on his own, a category of greatness as unique. And, 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 and the intention, week by week as we worship, 
week by week as we have our own devotions, as we grow in our understanding and knowledge of God, surely must be, Lord, in the light of your beauty and grace, everything else becomes less. Have a look at some of the reactions or listen to some of the reactions. Moses' reaction to a glimpse of God. Exodus 34 verse 8. Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and he worshipped. He could do no other. Just in the light of the greatness and the majesty and the glory of God. We, we, we see the repeated testimony of the prophets. Jeremiah 10 verse 6. There is none like you, O Lord. You are great and your name is great in might. Song of Moses and the servant of God in the Song of the Lamb in Revelation 15. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. And so, do you see what I'm trying to convey this morning? We as a church, we're here in the east of Pretoria, we're in the city of Pretoria. What are we doing? Are we simply connecting? Do, do we simply sort of have these superficial conversations from time to time and now and again we dig a little bit deeper and we carry on with the rest of life and, and God is on the edges. God is, God has to be at the center. He, God stands alone as unique in all of his attributes and, and, and I have a list of them. I won't even mention them all over here. God is multifaceted in the amazement of his glory. God alone is worthy to be worshipped. There's not another attraction commanding your or anyone else's attention that should compete with God. That's why we're here. God stands alone as unique. My second point of this greatness is God's creative genius is unmatched. I want to pause on this a little bit. My daughter was back this past week from Cape Town and uh, she was telling me about her anatomy course and having to learn about all the muscles and tendons and nerves and bones and telling me that it's an impossible task. But I was very encouraged when she said to me, Dad, I can't believe that someone cannot see the creative genius of God. Can you look at a body? How can you look at the amazing human constitution so I have a, an example here uh, of a description, in fact, of, let's see if my page will turn. There we go. The psalmist says in Psalm 139 verse 14, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Pointing to the greatness of God's genius. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. Now, now, you've heard this description, but I'm going to give it again. Take one living human cell. You can't even see it with a naked eye. It functions like a great city. It has dozens of power stations. A transportation system, a highly complex system of communication. It imports raw materials. It manufactures items it needs. It has an efficient system of garbage disposal. It's just the cell. It carries on. Uh, it's run by an absolute dictatorship, maintains an efficient police force. That's your immunity system to keep out anything undesirable. To look at its inner workings takes a super microscope. There's 60 trillion cells in the human body. 
They come in all sizes and participate in every living function. There are trillion cells in the human brain alone. God's creative genius. This didn't just happen. The crowning wonder among the living cell is the female egg, capable of dividing over and over again to produce an offspring. That tiny fragment of life contains the blueprint for creating such a complex chemical plant as a liver. Just think about that. Knows how to grow a finger. Knows exactly how and when to shut off the process. Each second, millions of cells die in, the living, in, in a living human body and millions more are created. Our 60 trillion cells can live in such harmony, each quietly and efficiently performing its own task, is one of the supreme wonders of the universe. My point, man, we humans are smart. And I know many of you are very smart here. We have some clever people at Central. But not as smart as God. Not even comparatively. We humans simply do not compare. And so God is worthy to be worshipped. That's why we are here. We are here because God is incomparably great. He's unique. He has this creative genius. But I want to move on to a second main point, which is going to speak to the issue of all the peoples of the earth can actually know him and worship him. And so my second point is we are here because God is irresistibly great. Now, we stand at a, a turning point or a milestone in the church. A lot of people have the expectation of a vision document from the leadership. I don't have a vision document to offer you. We don't have that. I don't know if any of the leaders have that. But we've got something better. We don't have dreams or strategic schemes uh, what we do have, God's plan and vision for the church and the world at large. Our move out here was, and I still uh, believe it is, based on all that God has promised to do. We stand on the promises of God. All that God has promised to do will be realized. Just one example to remind you where we're heading in the course of history. History has a beginning point. It will have a terminus point. As God's agenda unfolds, and we read in Revelation 21 verse 2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. God is building His church. Jesus said so. Simple language. Nothing will get in His way. God is unstoppable. And in Psalm 86, the psalmist knew that. Even before Jesus uh, was incarnate and, 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 and Jesus lived and died and rose again and ascended, the, the psalmist, Psalm 86, he knew this, uh, that the greatness of God is such that he has determined the outcome of this world. Uh, verse 9 of chapter 86, All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. That's where we're heading. That's where we're going. And so the vision here is is beyond the church. We do know that the church is part of that. People from every tribe, nation, and language will gather before the throne of God. It's a verse we often refer to, we often repeat. But there's more than that. 
The vision here includes every single person from every single nation who ever lived at the end of time will bow their knee before God. People who dig their heels in won't be able to resist bowing the knee before God and acknowledging Jesus to be King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We know that verse so well in Philippians uh, chapter 2, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. Every knee, every knee will bow. People can resist for these 70, 80, 90 years. They can dig their heels in. They can spit in his face. But there will come a day, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The point is, on that day, there will be no denials. On that day, even those who refuse to give thanks to God and honor His name will bow their knee before Him. And so, folk, we, we are here because God is irresistibly great. Isn't it it's a wonderful thing to be part of this uh, agenda that God has unfolded since even the beginning of time? Great commission cannot fail. Uh, he has told us to make disciples of the nations. Well, we go about that. We do that. And He will build His church we go ahead and we simply obey. How can we respond? That's my third point. So the greatness of God, incomparably great, irresistibly great, how do we respond? Well, verse 10 uh, is, uh, ought to be that which burns on our heart. For you are great and doest or do wondrous things. You alone are God. Getting up in the morning and affirming, Lord, you are great and do wondrous things. Even when things are difficult, things are hard, knowing that God is unfolding a purpose, that God is working things together, that God is providentially involved, that God has a bigger picture in mind, that God is wiser than I am, God is wiser than you are, God is powerful, nothing stands in His way. How do we respond? How do we respond? A couple of things. Number one, I don't want to urge us as a church, urge you as an individual, wrap yourself in the greatness of God. I'm going to try and elaborate. Go back to the analogy of the sandwich. You see, too many Christian people are like stale old slices of bread. They're hard and crusty and even have some mold growing on them. Shouldn't be that way. Shouldn't be that way. New young Christians and even us older established Christians must continue to be fresh and vibrant in our relationship, in our walk with God. It's a daily walk. Walking with the Spirit, not grieving the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit. We need to have our hearts full of God, full with God, full for God. Bread neglected, we know this. Uh, just left out in the open, unprotected and uncared for, goes stale. You leave it alone, it goes stale. But we know with our technology today, bread wrapped in glad wrap. Even me running my own kitchen at the moment. I know if I put it in some glad wrap, I can eat it in a couple of days' time. Wrap yourself, folk, in the greatness of God. That's what I'd like us to do at Central Baptist at Arcadia. At Central how do we do that? Well, there are a couple of indications from the psalmist here. Resolve to align yourself with God's agenda. Have a look at verse 11. Teach me your way. 
Folk, that's easier said than done for me. It's so much easier. Lord, won't you follow my way? I think I got it together. I think I know how things should work. Lord, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk. There's a practicality of obedience and submission in walking in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Align yourself with God's agenda. We can never exhaust the riches of God's glory, God's revelation, God's wisdom, God's person. And so we need to be serious about learning, learning at the feet of Jesus, learning the ways of God. The study of the word, the teaching of the word, the obedience of the word, submission in awe of God. What does that mean? A willingness to change. Have you changed much over these past years? Perhaps we could ask over these years we've been at the hill. A willingness to change. Change not just what we believe. We ought to grow in our doctrinal understanding. None of us is, uh, none of us have it all together, to put it plain English. We ought to grow. Lord, you are my teacher. I need to learn from you. You've given us your word. Doctrinal understanding, but also to be transformed. Not just in head knowledge, but in being uh, becoming more and more conformed to the likeness of Jesus. Willing to change how we do ministry. Are we doing it right? What do we need to change? How can we better glorify God? How can we better edify the church? These, these are things we need to be thinking of. Changes that come about in the course of us learning the ways of God. I do also believe, and I add this as a comment, a willingness to understand the world in which we live. The world changes in many ways. We need to understand our context. The world we're living in, uh, 2023. I remember when I did some studies, I, I, I found a, a comment by an author by the n- name of Neil Postman. Never forgotten it. It, it, it sticks in my mind. And, and the, the, the quote is this. Uh, in your context, you need to be, you, you need not to do ministry or delivering the post to an address where no one lives. Yeah? Kind of beat your drum, I'm going to do my thing. But it doesn't relate to anybody. What's the point? My next point is not only resolve to align yourself with God's agenda, resolve to honor God and give thanks to Him. Now you may say that's an obvious thing, but if you look at Romans chapter 1, the natural tendency of us people is not to give thanks to God and not to honor Him. Our natural bent is to lesser substitutes. And so in the light of the greatness of God and what God is worthy of, notice verse 12, I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart I will glorify your name forever. Well, let me conclude. I want to go back to the sandwiches, the slices of bread. Folk, we are a needy people. I know I am. I'm confessing that before you today. Life can sometimes be so hard. And the reasons for that hardness differs for us people. For you, it's one thing. For another person, it's another thing. For me, something else. And so, there is an invitation here in this psalm that we can come to God. 
I love what he says at the beginning, that he has his ear inclined. Notice that, incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I'm poor and needy. Well, why can we come with confidence is what I really want to deal with in my conclusion. Verse 13 says, For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. In essence, that's the promise of salvation from God to undeserving people. And I know many of you yet today, many of you have the assurance of God's love for you, rescuing you from your sin and and giving you a place of, of assurance as you look and anticipate heaven and glory. But I want to take it further than that today. It's also in the midst of life and and difficulty. I I love what the psalmist says in verse 2. You are my God. There's a a personalness. You are my father. I'm your son. I'm your daughter. There's a resonance. Your spirit at work within me. Have a look at verse 5. He says, you are my God. He has confidence to lift up his soul to God. And then he says in verse 5, For for you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. We blunder, we stumble, we have blind spots, we make mistakes, uh, we regret certain things. God, you're forgiving. And so as we consider even the table this morning, for God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Going forward, perhaps some who do not believe, the invitation is here for all those who call upon the Lord. Call upon Him in your day of need and trouble. God will respond. God does love. God does care. God does show mercy. God does pour out grace. The steadfast love of the Lord toward those who believe. It's a wonderful gift. That's what we want to do here at Central. We want to lift up the greatness of God, the greatness of who He is, but the greatness ultimately of His love and His mercy. And so, Lord, this morning I do pray that these words from the psalmist, Lord, my inadequate explanation would make some, Lord, impact on us, filling our hearts, Lord, more um, of you, more, Lord, for you, that you indeed would capture us in such a way that we would indeed love you with heart and soul and mind and strength. And Lord, even as we come to your table, as we prepare our hearts to just reflect and search our hearts, Help us, Lord, to uh, submit to you, uh, seeking, Lord, humbly your forgiveness and your grace as new beginnings uh, always possible with you, even as we leave from this table later today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.